I just didn't trust Christians. I didn't think they were real. I didn't think they were loving. I didn't think they were kind. But to now be in a community where people loved me for me, where people loved me as an image bearer, not as an ex-lesbian, I think that did something to my heart and how I saw God, because I was now able to see God in multiple people and not have to be alone in the fight. Hey y'all, welcome back to the God Center Mom podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and I don't want you to be alone in the fight. That's why we remind you through mentorship, friendship, and discipleship that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 214, I'm welcoming the amazing Jackie Hill Perry. I think too often our evangelism is centered around a person's sexuality instead of a person's personhood. What I mean by that is people are made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, that is the primary way in which they should be identified, not by their sexuality. It's actually the culture that identifies people by their sexuality. This person is heterosexual. This person is homosexual. This person is this. This person is that. When God looks at us, he looks at us as people that he made for himself and made for his glory. And so I think in evangelism, I feel like we need to get back to the part where I'm not just going to minister you, minister to you on the basis of your sexuality, but I'm going to minister to you on the basis of who God created you to be and what your heart is doing in light of that. Y'all, there's just a taste of the goodness coming your way in this episode with Jackie Hill Perry, the author of the new book, Gay Girl, Good God. She is a wife, mom to two little girls, author, poet, I I say preacher. She knows the gospel because she's lived it. And y'all, if you have forgotten what God has done for you and how he sees you, I think this conversation will open your eyes to that, to the truth of the transformation available to us, not the transformation to make us heterosexual. The transformation of how God wants to take away our sin and how he wants to give us victory over whatever is entangling you, whatever in your life is causing you to not live in freedom. Second half of our conversation, Jackie is answering your questions that you sent in. But before we get to all that, I have something to help you save time this school year. If you're really stuck and what to feed your family and how to get food on the table in the midst of homework and sports, let me introduce you to Prep Dish. I've had friends that are like, is Prep Dish really good and does it really save time and do you really like it or are you just saying that because they sponsor the show? Okay, honest to goodness, I truly print out the menus the Friday before. I choose the paleo option. There's also a gluten-free option. I truly go to the grocery store, I truly prep the food, and I cook it for my family. This last week, the citrus cilantro shrimp was unbelievable. I mean, I could not get enough of it, and all my boys loved it. So if you want to try it out for two weeks for free, go to PrepDish.com forward slash GCM. Use the coupon code GCM to get those two weeks free. I promise you're going to save time. You're going to love eating healthy and new recipes. You don't have to think about what am I going to cook this week. And you know what? If your kids don't like it, don't make it again. But at least you got to eat something good for that night. All right. Let's get to my conversation with Jackie. Here we go. All right, Jackie. Let's do this. Let's talk about everything. I mean, (laughs) I've been stalking you from Instagram and... First of all, those girls are cute. Thank you. So well yeah. done. Well done. You uh, you and Preston, that was a really good job because they're cute. And I love watching when your daughter's preaching and you're in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, 
So Eden is an interesting child. Um, I'm interested to see what the, the next one will be. Well, so how old are your girls in case no one else stalks you on Instagram like me? So Eden is three and Autumn is, she might be 12 weeks today, wow. I believe. Yeah. You've been busy. I have, but I, I'd rather have them out than inside of my body. <laughs> <laughs> Pregnancy, I just can't. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I just like that you can eat all the things when I'm pregnant. That's what yeah. I like. I like that part. I'm paying for that now, though. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a good job, though. That's the other thing. I'm like, we could talk about body image and we could talk about health. You're doing a good job taking care of your health. Thank you. Um, but I know that women are tuning in because they want to hear your story. And you have this new book with the bold title, Gay Girl, Good God. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love is the very end of it. You saying that I want to tell you what God has done for my soul and invite you into worship. Yeah. And that's what I want to do with this conversation. Let's worship a God who does good things in our own souls and who is personally pursuing each person on this planet Yeah. to be closer to him. And the, the evils of this world that get in the way and the sin that gets in the way, that's what this story is about. Yeah. I feel like. So take us back. I mean, you do a good job with taking us back in this book. Um, take us back to, I guess, where do you like to start in your testimony? Uh, well, I, I think, um, where I was born, mm-hmm. it always was like a good platform. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, my story kind of just begins with, uh, my family. Um, I was raised in a single parent home. Uh, my mother and father, they kind of had a weird, uh, relation, well, not even weird, I think a common relationship where, you know, they enjoyed each other, enjoyed each other sexually, but they didn't uh, plan on having any commitments to each other that extended beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, when I was born as a surprise, um, I think the foundation of their relationship was already inconsistent. So I I don't think it should have been expected then that my father would be there, you know, when if he had committed to my mother, then surely he wouldn't have committed to me. And so Hmm. I was kind of raised already in that kind of dysfunction. Um, But my mother loved me, loved me well. Um, I remember as early as four or five uh, is when I noticed that I had same sex desires. I didn't know the name for it. Like it wasn't like on TV yet or think I wasn't exposed to that kind of language at that point. Cause this is like, yeah, it wasn't like the culture influenced you. Yeah. yeah, this is like late 80s, early 90s. And okay. so okay. I just was like, I mean, I noticed that I like this little girl that is a little girl just like me, but I don't know what to do with it. Um, and it wasn't until I started to go to church frequently where I heard homosexual and abomination in the same sentence and figured, oh, well, clearly this isn't something I should tell people about. Right. <laughs> so, Keep that one silent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's the beginning of of my life. And I know some people are going to ask, you know, was there any trauma, um, abuse or anything that caused you to have that same sexual attraction or did you have it before? It's hard to identify Mm -hmm. just because I know I was molested before second grade and I remember experiencing those desires before second grade as well. And so it's hard to place. Yeah. Uh, I would not be surprised if, so I was molested. Yeah, I said that. I would not be surprised <laughs> if that was 
a, a contributor to the decision that I made. But I think even when you look at scripture, when you see the whole scope of scripture, you don't see people just choosing sin because of trauma per se. You see them choosing sin because of their heart. And so I think the trauma in many ways might have directed the the my choices, but I think ultimately I was same sex attracted because I had a heart like that. So so yes, do it, I, I believe trauma um might have directed my path. Um, but in many ways I think sin is the the primary reason why I did what I did or felt what I felt. So even in just that statement in the world we're living in where Christians are trying to figure out how to approach same-sex attraction, you are saying it's a sin. Yes. And so you, at the time, you know, you're hearing it's an abomination from the church visits that you had. Mm -hmm. But when you were growing up, elementary, junior high, high school, were you thinking in your mind, I'm choosing sin? Or were Um, you going with just the flesh is just going with it? I really didn't know. Yeah. It was just this is this is something that I actually am experiencing and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Because it seemed like from the pulpits it was like this is saying stop it. Mm. That's kind of how it was communicated, but it's just like and I tried to not not even with sexuality, I tried to stop sinning. I tried. I, I read the sinner's prayer like 17 times. <laughs> I would read Revelations because I thought that was like the most spiritual book of the Bible. <laughs> like I, I would do a lot and I couldn't stop because the gospel was never preached to me. Yeah. It, yeah. it was never told to me that to cease from sin or to be able to have power over your temptations was actually a work of the spirit of God and not effort of the flesh. Um, so maybe if I would have heard that, I would have had a different perspective on my temptations. The Romans, the flesh is no help at all. At no, all. At all. How can it be? It's dead. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that is true. You, I mean, your words. I love words and communication, and you have been given such a gift of words. And I know we're going to get back to your story, but have you always, like even before you started following Jesus and doing poetry, were you a word person? I, I was naturally, I just didn't know that it would be useful. Okay. Um, English was always the class that I didn't have to really work hard at to get an A. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just, I would read and write the essays and I just got A's. I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Until I became a believer, that's when I started to write poetry. Um, and that's when um, my local community started to affirm that I was not only just like, I guess, an artist when it came to poetry, but spiritually, gift- spiritually gifted to teach. And I was like, oh, so like, oh, God gave me this ability to <laughs> to use language um, and see words and use it for his glory and his aim and to paint pictures about who he is and stuff like that. So, nah, I just kind of, this is like new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fun. It's, it is a gift. And y'all, it's a good reading this book. So the first half is this talking through your story. And so second grade, um, you know. You're moving towards uh, making these choices. And was it high school that you had your first real girlfriend? Yes. Okay. Tell us about that. So when I was 17, um, a girl came up to me at a high school dance and basically solicited me to be her girlfriend. I was like, well, that's real gay. Um, Definitely (laughs) that. (laughs) Because I had to like 
put on this image and be to be perceived as uh, this straight girl when that really wasn't what I felt like was true. Um, but I went home and I just started to kind of debate with uh, what she said. And I started to think about, man, like, why don't you just try it? Like trying it won't hurt. You know, it won't send you to hell just because you, you kissed a girl and you liked it in the words of Katy Perry. <laughs> and so I just debated with myself and I ended up messaging her on MySpace, which was like actually p- cool at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> Dating yourself. Yes. Right. We got into a very short relationship, but after that, that, that pretty much was my uh, foot in the door to, to the lesbian community. Because what I, what I felt like the first time we kissed and the first time we engaged with each other sexually, it felt more real and more natural and more satisfying to me than it did to be with guys. And so I think my relationship with her at that time proved in my mind that I was gay. Hmm. And that it wasn't this thing that you're like, well, I'll just try it and then I can just walk away. Right. Yeah. I thought that was the case. Mm-hmm. I did. I thought that I, I would just be able to do it. And I, I guess I didn't expect that I would enjoy it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel so natural. I don't think I, I don't think I realized how addictive it sin is. And all sin in many ways is addictive, but it's, it's something about sexual sin that, that, I don't know. I, I just couldn't get enough of being with her. And it's not like I was thirsty, like I want to be with every woman in the world, but it was something about the intimacy and the vulnerability and the comfort that I received with being with women that was so completely different than when I was with guys. I think it's really powerful for whoever's listening to hear you say that. Because yeah. I think uh, those that have never experienced that can sit in judgment because they don't know. Yeah. They don't know. And and then there's this ranking order of sin. For sure. I I didn't <laughs> think that people really believed there was. Like, surely that's not true. I mean, we do in our mind, but you wouldn't overtly say. I was with a group of people, and they truly said there is a rank of sins being worse than others. And... um the conversation in regards to homosexuality went to a place that I was like, that's not the gospel. Mm. Jesus didn't Mm. die on the cross for different levels of sin. Mm. I don't believe all sin is sin in his mind is what I believe. Mm. But I think when we see consequences of sin being worse than others, I could gossip and y'all don't even know. Yeah. I could lie. You don't know. But then when it's out in front of everybody, you know, the scarlet letter, sort of thing it like you said sexual sin just it it just woven so deeply into the core of who god made us to be from the very beginning in the garden the enemy knows that is a place i can get and twist and hold them hold Mm -hmm. them trapped yeah so you're there you're 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 in it and um yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm well, I'm remembering the chapter I read uh, where you so subtly handled something I thought was really good was when you're in the hotel lobby. Mm, yeah, with a girl, talk through yeah. that story. So uh, maybe a year? No, not even a year. Maybe six months or so into me being like, you know what? I'm just be gay. This is what I'm gonna do. This is who I'm gonna be. 
um, I started to transition into a stud. And so in the black lesbian community, a stud is the woman who dresses male, can sometimes act very masculine. She kind of plays the male role in a relationship, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had, that was just who I was. I, I walked like a guy. Um, my voice is already a little low, so I didn't have to change that too much. Um, I used to wear my my <laughs> to the back. I would wear sports bras to flatten out my chest. I wore boxers, and so I was I was really walking in my own version of masculinity. And so at one point, I was with my girlfriend, and we went to a hotel, and we were waiting on uh, like the lobby person to like check us in and give us our key. And so this guy randomly comes into the lobby, just mad about something but it was it was weird because it was like either he's here to like rob us or fight somebody or do something and it was just kind of eerie how he we just didn't know what he was up to and he was really really big and I remember my girlfriend looked at me and the way she looked at me was like this expectation for me to protect her Hmm. but in myself I was like but I want to be protected and it's, it's, I, just, I just looked at him and I thought about me and I'm like, I can't, I can't do anything for us. And that's not to say that a man won't feel intimidation, but there to me, I think God used that situation to show me that this is not who you are. Like you are not naturally a protector. You are to be protected and you don't even have the muscle mass that a man might naturally have that actually be able to help fight this guy if you have to. And so I think God used that to really remind me of the reality of what he had created me to be, which is a woman, um, which is a woman biologically. My body is female. My muscles are female. Even my emotions are female. Um, and so therefore my function needs to be that. And so that was a weird situation. And it was irritating because I felt like God was just he was always using circumstances to remind me of the truth. And, I, you know, when you're in sin, you don't want to be reminded about that all the time. But now I know that it was mercy. Hmm. What, what was another situation that you can think of? Similar? Mm-hmm. Well, where he reminded you of truth. I mean, it's so many. Um, something as, as small as... Where was I at? I was at a a friend's going away thing she graduated and was going somewhere and (laughs) really really high that's why i don't remember what the party was Mm -hmm. and she gets up to tell everybody thank you for coming and all this type of stuff and she was she was a believer and i had always been around christians but so many people would call themselves christians and they never lived distinct from me and so i didn't really have this high expectation about christians at all anyway and so she gets up though and she starts to talk about how good God is. And she started to cry. And it was the crying that got to me. Because I was like, why is she crying about God? Like, is <laughs> is he, like, really that big a deal? And th- this is literally what I'm thinking. Like, why would your a relationship with God elicit emotions? Why is his goodness something that moves you like this? But it felt to me like... Why don't I feel that way about God? Like, why am I very unemotional and very unaffected by hearing about him, talking about him, listening to him? If anything, I want nothing to do with him. I don't cry about him. And so I think that was, it's not like I I said to myself, oh, I need to repent and believe the gospel. (laughs) But it was, your heart is hard. 
you don't you don't have what she has. Like she has a joy that doesn't exist inside of you. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think it's so meaningful to remember how how God really does use normal circumstances to reach people. Because when I talk to parents, a lot of times or relatives of gay uh, friends and family, the assumption is that the entire burden is on them. Yeah. I have to be the one to present the gospel. I have to be the one to show them Christ. And in many ways you should, but it, the have and the should are two different things. Like God really does use billboards and dreams and conversations and memories and all types of things to draw people to himself. And so I think, uh, I guess just, I'm just saying that to encourage people out there to know that like he really is sovereign in how he pursues. So. That's really helpful because that, that's what I felt with the listener questions that I got. Yeah. I felt this burden and urgency that, and, and this weight to get it right, to say the exact right thing yeah. and not to recognize that so much of your story, when you read Jackie's book, y'all, you'll see God woven through it. He's, he's working in everybody's heart to pursue them and you can be a part of that, but it's not like you're going to say the magical thing that's going to, you know click with our kids with any any sin or addiction that anyone is in even in my own life it hasn't been that one person said the exact right thing and I was like oh now I see my pride although (laughs) there have been like I was sitting at one event and somebody gives me a book and it was a a way that God used it but they didn't even know they weren't like coming after me God Mm -hmm. was coming after me and using people yeah so just keep following God in your own life and the Holy Spirit, one spirit's going to move. I think that's what I saw in your story. Um, even to the point that he can use radios with your mom, <laughs> right? Tell us that story about oh, the worst uh, thing ever. The worst um, thing ever. <laughs> so I was probably actively uh, gay for maybe two years at this point. My mother didn't know. She had an idea, but I never said it, never put it out there. And so we were on our way to work and we worked together and I was in the car and there was a talk radio station on. And, um, the, the topic was for women or mothers or parents. I don't remember to call in and basically talk about how they knew that their daughters or their children were gay and what were the signs. (laughs) And so that's already like too much. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. But then they're calling in and they're literally t- talking about me to a T about how like this one lady was saying how uh, her daughter had a best friend, quote unquote, that was always there. And they were pretty close in a way that seemed a little closer than best friends. And she didn't know what to call it or what to do with it. And I'm just like, my best friend is my girlfriend too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My mother doesn't know it. And so my mom turned to me and she said, is that you? And I was like, yeah. Cause at this point there's no denying it. Um, and she was like, I knew it. And so from that day on, I was out of the closet by force because of a radio station. Um, which was good and bad. I think God exposed me because um, my mother isn't a believer. And so I think one of the reasons God exposed my sin to her in particular is that my my when I became a Christian, it was so different, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't like I was this hidden sinner that then started to live righteous. It's like, no, I was 
out here rebellious in every way that I could be, not just my sexuality, but in all things. And so for her to see that then and then to see God transform me speaks a lot to the power of his gospel. Um, but I think, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So it's out there and you're living the life. And you just said when you became a believer. Yeah. What did that look like in in you? Like, I mean, I read the book. I kind of know. But for <laughs> in your testimony, tell it. Like, how did God get hold of you? How did you? And no, that's a different conversation. I, I want to get to the heterosexual gospel at some point. Yes. yes about yes. what this is and what this is not about. This was not convert Jackie so she can then get married and live the life that is perfect and right. This was was, the gospel right here. Yeah, I was 19. And um, it was a good six months that I felt that God was pursuing me hard. Um, My conscience, it just would not allow me to shake the truth that Jesus died for sin and that he is not pleased with sin at all. Um, and so I tried my best to shake it and I couldn't, but it came to a point, it was October, 2008. Uh, I was in my room, I think watching like MTV or something irrelevant. <laughs> and <laughs> I felt God speak to my heart and say that my girlfriend or my sin would be the death of me. And I kind of have to do like this little process of elimination. Cause I'm like, okay, did I say that to myself? And I'm like, I probably wouldn't convict myself of sin. I was like, did the devil say it? I don't think he'll want me to be holy either. And so I just <laughs> like, maybe this is the Lord. And of course there are, there's a type of skepticism that should be had or not skepticism. I think there's a, a wisdom that should come with considering what people say God has said to them, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, Overall, what I heard was that my sin would be the death of me. And I knew enough from going to church that that was in Romans, that sin for the wages of sin equals death. And because I saw it wasn't my girlfriend or my lesbianism alone. It was that my entire life would be the death of me. I didn't need convincing that I was a sinner. I didn't need someone to walk me through um, 1 Corinthians 6 to see that all of these things that Paul is describing is me. I just knew it. Um, and so I, I started to think about everything I loved and enjoyed and its consequences. And I was like, okay, I'm always getting high. I'm, I'm never sober. Okay, that's sin. All right, drunkenness, sin. Okay, uh, rebellion against authorities, your parents. I learned that in Sunday school that God didn't like that. <laughs> oh, man, I was just like, man, like everything I do, <laughs> it's wrong. And everything I do will lead me to be judged for eternity. And to me, it didn't seem worth it. It didn't seem like, what is the point if I live 60, 70 years doing me? And at the end of the day, when this life is over, now I'm being judged for it. And, but if, if sin then isn't worth it, then the other only alternative has to be that God is, he, he must be the worthy one. He must be the one who is actually satisfying and the one who actually gives eternal joy. Um, and so I just thought about that in my mind. I didn't know that it was repentance or faith or justification or atonement. I didn't know any of that language. All I knew is that sin to me was not worthy to be submitted to anymore. That sin was just what it is, which is death. But that Christ actually died for people like me, that Christ 
died for sinners. And that he said in John 3.16, the one verse I knew by heart, that he would forgive me if I would only believe in his name. And so I just did that. I I just saw that it was true, which is what faith is. Mm-hmm. It's just agreeing with the truth. And I was like, I agree with this. <laughs> You're right. You are my savior and you're the only one that can be my savior. Um, and so that's kind of how God met me. It's like a Damascus kind of situation. Not that I'm an apostle, but it's <laughs> that way. It was like I was planning to become a Christian and God interrupted me and made me one. And it was in that moment watching MTV. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In my bed. Because he wasn't going to meet me at a church. I didn't go to those. Yeah. yeah. So he was like, let me meet her in her room at 8 p.m. <laughs> so this happens and you're realizing this truth and so did you start reading the bible right away you already knew a lot about what the bible said because you'd been in church growing up right so mm-hmm. how did it influence your dailiness well i think it was it's a pro it's progress i think the first thing that in god's kindness because i didn't know that i needed community but my friend invited me to a church a couple of like to go the following Sunday. And so I went to that church and I joined that church. And in that church is when I started to then have um, a hunger for the word, a desire for the word, um, learning how to pray. And I think over in a, in a, in a real sense, I learned the necessity of community. I, I didn't, I never thought that Christians, you know, I had a, I just didn't trust Christians. I didn't think they were real. I didn't think they were loving. I didn't think they were kind. But to now be in a community where people loved me for me, where people loved me as an image bearer, not as an ex-lesbian, I think that did something to my heart and how I saw God, because I was now able to see God in multiple people and not have to be alone in the fight. And so that was kind of how it started. Then I got discipled. I moved to LA and I moved in with a woman named Santoria who really rigidly taught me <laughs> how to live uh, as a Christian. She taught me how to steward, taught me how to read the scriptures, taught me how to pray, taught me the place of fasting, taught me about discipling other women, taught me all of that. Um, and so I think that my my being taught and me also being able to observe other Christians that were older and wiser than me is really what kind of like anchored me into the faith. It's so beautiful reading that discipleship relationship because, you know, it's, it's, the word is kind of gaining ground again, but it got lost for a lot of years. And yeah. it's so beautiful because we can now see the fruit of that in mm-hmm. your ministry. And we can see that you're grounded and, and, and that victory over sin and death because you were equipped for the mm-hmm. tools that God's given us. That's yeah. what I get frustrated with sometimes when, you know, Christians come to me and I'm like, you have all the tools. Find people to help you, like yep. in your real life. I, across a cousin of uh, several cities, can't be that discipler for you, but find your people. And it's so beautiful. I love what you said. Um, it was n- not her knowledge of scripture that intrigued me, but her silent confidence in them. She had yep. nothing to prove, and I had too much to say. It was her being farther along in her faith and to to be and for you to be open to her pointing out those things and to be in the same apartment. Yeah, there's no escaping. <laughs> <laughs> no, like acting like at small group everything's cool and then having a porn addiction at home, you know. Yeah. We're yeah, I, we're trying it, it, but we're not quite 
doing what you got to experience, which was amazing. And I think the intimacy, I think every discipleship relationship is not going to look the same. Um, I think because she was a single woman, she was able to walk with me and give me more time than probably a married woman would have been able to or had the the, con- not the context, the capacity to. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that my relationship with Centoria did is Centoria was always in my business, one. And because of that, I think that taught me how necessary confession is. Yeah. Because it got to a point where it's like, you're going to ask me anyway. So <laughs> how I just let you know? but I learned that that was actually how I found healing and how I found peace because I needed to get the dark things out and get it in the light. And confession was a part of me getting it out and into the light so that it can be dealt with so that it could be handled and uh, repented of. And so I think discipleship when it comes to someone being near enough to you to see your sins, but also to call them out is so helpful at the end of the day because it gets you to a point where you see that that is what God is that that's what God wants and that's what he does. He sees your sin. Yeah. He's just wanting yeah. you to talk about it. He came up to Adam and Eve and said, "Hey, where yet?" <laughs> they're like, "We're hiding." <laughs> he doesn't ask them where they are because he doesn't know. He's God. He asks them to give them an opportunity to confess. And that's I think that's what he wants of us uh in more more often than not. I 1000% agree. I've been discipled recently in prayer and healing and, and now praying with women. And Mm. even if the past wounds were not that person's fault, you know, the abuse or whatever it was, there was a belief that was then taken on about who God is or about who they are Mm. that to even confess that they've been believing it and agreeing with it instead of what God says Mm. Even though it feels weird, like, what am I confessing? They didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. I, w- I was abused. I didn't choose abuse. But I believe now I'm not I'm not safe and that mm-hmm. God is not a good protector. So to agree with God in confession, there's healing there. I've seen it every time. There yeah. is so much healing in not just asking forgiveness but then accepting it. Um, I, I 100% agree with everything you're saying. It's so, so beautiful. Um so you're going forward in this discipleship. You're finding your giftedness then in poetry. Yeah. Was there any, okay, I'm going to go back to the discipleship. Was there anything in you because of the same sex attraction that you'd been dealing with? And then you're in this relationship with Santoria. Was there any temptation there or was that just such a different kind of relationship that that was not? Yeah, it was a different relationship and she's way older than me. Um, Santoria is maybe... 10 to 15 years older than me. So there wasn't any room for temptation. <laughs> you're not. saying she's old like me. So you're like, yeah, it's yeah. like, I, I'm not attracted to you, Yeah, but <laughs> there was temptation within, with women in my church. Right. I think, um, I, and this is something I've, I've figured out, but I had to figure out how to have healthy friendships with women hmm. Yet at the same time, how to guard myself from sin. Um, Because I think it's easier if you're like, if your bend is heterosexuality and you don't have to go to the male small group, you know, you don't have, you don't really have to put, be in positions to be near men. You can be near them, but not near them intimately. Right. Versus as a woman, 
you're going to be in like the small groups together. All of the little shindigs that everybody does is all female. People are going to have sleepovers to watch Lion King. (laughs) There's a, there's a (laughs) level. And I actually did that. Oh my gosh. I had girls from my house come over to watch Lion King because I think it's like great fellowship. But yes, I I think I had to learn the place of boundaries um, while at the same time, be willing to trust God and experience the joy in having pure same-sex friendships, which I think God wants very much so for us to have. And so Santoria definitely helped me through that a lot. And actually it's um, the whole section you did on when you went back to work after this belief. To me, that was just really powerful thinking through my own sanctification. Mm. And even in my parenting and even in those moments where I want to scream and yell because that's a habit for me and that's the sin that I go to. So to surrender it in that moment, to watch how you beautifully wrote out the temptation and the leaning on God for strength, Mm -hmm. that battle that is happening in all of us between the spirit and the flesh that Mm -hmm. you wove through that section. I mean, I think any believer is going to have sin, right? We, we all know that. And any believer is going to have temptation. And to rely on God's strength, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I Something in me, it, it, it just turned a light bulb on for me to read you walk through that struggle. Amen. Yeah. It, temptation is such a weird thing. And weird as in like, I think we overcomplicate it mm. sometimes. But I think it's as simple as this is the human experience. I have a heart. I have a body that will have these affections that are not godly, that are not pure. My mind will sometimes jump to memories that I didn't want mm-hmm. it to jump to. But now I have to deal with how I feel because of the memory. Um, but then we have so many promises of scripture of how we are to deal with it, mainly that we have Jesus who didn't just come and die, but he came, lived and died. And in his living then, he was able to experience temptation yet without sin. And so now he tells us that because of this, he is our great high priest who empathizes with us. And so now when I experience temptation, I should not shame myself if Christ does not shame me. He doesn't despise me for being tempted. He empathizes with me for being tempted. But he also pushes me to action and says, now, since, because you have a great high priest who did all of this yet without sin, come to his throne of grace in your time of need with boldness. So I don't have to be timid. I don't have to be fearful. I don't think he's going to judge me because I'm tempted. But if anything, he just said, I'm going to help you. (laughs) Like this is a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment that you're coming to when you're tempted. And so I think seeing Jesus in relation to my temptations has completely transformed how I deal with them. Because now I know, one, it's it's not a shameful thing, but two, it is a possible thing to overcome because of Christ. And I, I just think Jesus is cool for that. Okay, y'all, I'm jumping in here again to tell you and invite you to the Don't Mom Alone live event. It's happening September 28th and 29th, and you guys did such a good job inviting your people, getting your tickets, that Friday is now officially sold out. But there's good news. I still have a few tickets, and when I say a few, I'm not joking. It's not like a trick. There are a few tickets left on Saturday afternoon. I want you to be there. I want you to enjoy 
the wisdom and mentorship of Jim and Lynn Jackson from Connected Families. I want you to be able to meet other moms who are just like you, wanting to do the best job that they can, and for you to be reminded that you don't mom alone. And I'd love to see you there. So let me know if you're already coming. Tag me. Some of you already have, and I love it. Uh, If you would like to get a ticket for Saturday afternoon, go over to godcenteredmom.com forward slash live. Remember, you can buy individual tickets. You can buy tables if you have a group that wants to come and sit together. There's tables of eight. Bring your small group. Whatever it is, come and join us for desserts and coffee and some special surprises. It's going to be exciting stuff. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Jackie. Here we go. Mm. Okay, I want to talk through all of your story, like I said, for seven hours. Um, Y'all are going to have to get the book to read about... Jackie's transformation process um, down to her buying a bra and then <laughs> falling for Preston and then getting mad at Preston and him still loving her. I mean, you get to read all that in the book. But so many people send in questions that I don't want to leave them hanging and not get to them before our time's up. There are like 20 questions that basically ask the same thing. Okay. <laughs> what are the best ways to love our LGBT? BQ friends, family, I mean, anyone around us without celebrating this sin? Oh, man. Mm -hmm. This question is so common, yet it's so hard to answer. Mainly because I feel like we're dealing with real people with different issues and different backgrounds and different ways they interact with truth. And so I feel like whatever I say, it can't be it's not going to be specific to everybody because everybody is so complicated. So I think first thing I'll say is continue to pray. I think God is God. No, the people that we're trying to reach and trying to minister to, he actually knows them way better than we ever could because he created them. And so he really knows what needs to happen or what needs to be said or how it needs to be said for them to be reached. For me, when I was in the gay community, I'm even now I'm not an easily offended person and so somebody being vague with me about the truth would actually irritate me. Uh, like, just 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 say, what, oh, I'm a sinner? Cool. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> there are others who they need to hear that they're a sinner, but you might have to navigate that conversation much differently based on their personality type. And so that's why I say pray. But I think I, I think this kind of, I'll probably hint towards the heterosexual gospel in this, yeah, which please. is, I think our evangelism has to be our evangelism has to be god-centered i think too often our evangelism is centered around a person's sexuality instead of a person's personhood what i mean by that is people are made in the image of god and being made in the image of god that is the primary way in which they should be identified not by their sexuality it's actually the culture that identifies people by their sexuality. This person is heterosexual. This person is homosexual. This person is this. This person is that. When God looks at us, he looks at us as people that he made for himself and made for his glory. And so I think in evangelism, I feel like we need to get back to the part where I'm not just going to minister you, minister to you on the basis of your sexuality, but I'm going to minister to you on the basis of who God created you to be and what your heart is doing in light of that. Um, because really your sexuality and how you're exp- expressing it it has everything to do with your heart and what you're believing. So let's address that. We're going to we're gonna talk about same-sex attraction, and we're going to talk about lying, and we're going to talk about pride, because pride <laughs> is really the main problem, is that you don't believe that what God has to say in his word is actually true. And so because that is the case, you're living a life of rebellion, 
because you believe that that's actually a better alternative than obedience. And so I think the way we can help people is to love people as people, not gay people, but as people. And that will transform the conversations we have because the conversations will now be way more holistic in their approach rather than, oh, so tell me about the first time you liked the woman or tell me about the first time you liked the man. I, I, I just don't think that's helpful. I think God wants to save the whole person, not just an aspect of the person. And so let's minister to the whole person then and not just a portion. That's good. So there are other questions too about how about the individuals who claim following Christ and um, being believers and are living a same sex attraction life and are okay with that and not, it's not like they're having the attraction, but they're acting on it still. Yeah. So now they're in our church. This is an within the church conversation. We're not trying to do evangelism. They're in the church and pursuing sin. But maybe they don't. But see, here's the deal too, Jackie. You and I know Mm -hmm. not everyone in the church is calling it sin. For sure. So we aren't even on the same page a lot of times that it is. They would say, God designed me this way, and he doesn't make anything that's not good. So, Which is true. But he didn't make sin either. But I think... uh, So I think there's two things. I know, let's say you're talking to the believer that is, uh, they believe the scriptures, but not believe it in a submitted to it way. But they, yeah, they've read them. Yeah. 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 They're like, there's no argument there. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a conversation. I've had several over the last decade, but one in particular, I was, uh, it was at the church. This girl came to church and of course, uh, they connected her with me because (laughs) You like the spokesperson? Yeah, they were like, you talk child. child. And so I was asking her, you know, who is she, her life, et cetera, et cetera. And she felt, I wanted to know how she was living her life in general, which she was very clear and obvious that she lived a life of sin in every way possible. And so what I did was I was like, instead of me telling you that you're wrong, Let's go to scripture. Yeah, I opened up scripture, the first John in particular. I wanted her to read, I think it was verse, it was chapter one, verse six, where it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so I asked her, I said, okay, according to your what you just told me about your life, you're like, living in sin, right? Like actively. She's like, right. I was like, so the scripture defines that as like walking in darkness. Would you agree with that? Yes. So what is it saying of people who walk in darkness? It says that you don't have fellowship with him, right? Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm allowing her to see what the word has to say rather than her thinking that this is purely my opinion on her life. And so we just start to dialogue about the Bible and what it had to say about her life. And through that, she was able to say, you know what? You're right. Did she repent? No. Did she believe? No. But she walked away very clear on her state before God. And so I think what what we have to do is we have to be willing to have those hard conversations, especially if you're in the church living that way, because now this is a matter of church discipline. Um, If you're in the church 
pull you to the side. Let's converse. What's going on, sis? What's going on, bro? Let, let's get to the word about what God thinks about your life. And let's get to the truth of the fact that some people actually, I, I'm going to kind of redirect. Some people, I believe, are rebellious, but I think they're rebellious because they don't believe that it's actually possible to be holy. Hmm. So some people ain't just out here tripping just but I just want to sin against God. <laughs> it's that they think they have no other choice. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't come out unless you dialogue in a helpful and respectful way to get to the root of the unbelief. And so some people just need to go to Romans 6 and see the power of the resurrection and how that relates to sin. And that if Christ rose from the dead, we also can be risen from the dead and that it actually is possible to not give in to our temptations. But then there's the other group who says that it's not sin to that group. We got to go through scripture, too. Because I, we have to walk. We, I think there's a, a lack of knowing how to read the scripture that allows people to compromise scripture. And so, if we read the entire narrative of scripture and see how God's intention for sexuality first, then we get to Romans, then we get to Leviticus, then we get to First Corinthians six, and we really dig. There's no way that you can come to the conclusion that God is okay with sexual immorality because it's all through the text, but. It's also very clear that God is able to save those who are sexually immoral. So it's just as First Corinthians 6, and 6, 9, and 10 says, it mentions adulterers and those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 also says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, even though the, the scripture condemns same-sex behavior, it also has hope for those who practice it if they would only believe the gospel. And if that is the case, they will be washed, they will be sanctified, and they will be justified, period. I just said a lot. That's good. I like it. <laughs> I um, I think the key as a church is that we have this truth, we have this hope, we have this healing available to us. But if we approach it with the um, condemnation first, which, again, Romans, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but to say, you know, I I want you to be part of this. I struggle with this sin to be vulnerable, to say, um, your own struggles and not like we said earlier with the tiered ones worse than the other in our conversations where we can speak out against same sex attraction. So, strongly and yet be silent on other things of sexual sin, Mm -hmm. um, adultery and pornography and the other things that are more accepted, um, among the church to, to, to have some humility in that as we approach anyone in the church. Um, I think you do a good job in this book. Uh, at the end, there's a whole appendix of talking through a lot of these issues Y'all, I know some of you shared having sisters, sister-in-laws, brothers, brother-in-law. I mean, this is personal for so many people now, um, and you're looking for help. And I want to make sure you have resources, uh, things like sister uh, is gay and getting married and wants this mom uh, to bring her kids. Mm-hmm. And how do you respond? Everyone, they're, they're nervous they're going to get that wedding invite and not know what to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one. And it's a hard one because it can destroy relationships. Yep. Um, 
this is where I, I stand on that question. When you see God um, talk about marriage in the scripture, or when you see uh, in Ephesians, when Paul spells out why God created that mystery, he said that it applies to Christ in the church. So then we can glean from that and say, okay, marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage somehow between one man and one woman shows off Christ's love for the people that he redeemed, the church. So that means that marriage is a big deal, that marriage is worship unto God, that marriage is a kind of glory that shows off God. If that's the case, then I cannot myself participate in being present for a marriage that is no marriage at all. I cannot participate in a union that God looks on and is hurt by. Secondly, I think the presence of a person at a marriage is usually affirmation for that marriage. I am here because I'm saying, I agree with this. I want this. I'm for this. You might not be that, feel that way in your heart. You might be, no, I'm only here to support, but it could be perceived giving an appearance of evil that you're affirming the union before you. Three, I feel like even if it puts the conversation on rocky ground, not the conversation, the relationship on rocky ground, I think there, that's an actual, a, a real ministry opportunity that we might miss. What I mean by that is, I think in having to explain why you can't come is a way to share the gospel. It is to say, this is what God created marriage to be. I cannot agree with that. And I think God can even use those hard conversations to point to his great holiness and his truth and his love and his gospel. Actually, really short story, met a woman who was married to a woman at one point and she invited her parents. Her dad came, but her mother chose not to come. And she said at the time she was pissed. She was hurt. She just was like, my mother doesn't love me, et cetera, et cetera. But God ended up changing her heart and saving her. She eventually divorced her wife. But she said, she said, when I became a believer, I had so much respect for my mother because I realized that she loved God more than she loved me. And I think we miss that. We want people to think we love them more than God. But that's not the case, because even Jesus says, if you don't love me more than father and mother, that's a problem. Right. And so I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But I think praying that God would use it for his glory and his aim, instead of focusing on the negative or the brokenness of the, or the possible brokenness of the relationship, think about what God could actually do with you standing up for holiness. I think he could do a lot. You stand on truth, girl. No one's, no no one's, no one's going to tell you you don't because you're, you're, you're on there. I mean, that is a hard one. It is such a hard one. And gospel, the gospel both unifies and it divides. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And the interesting thing is that when Jesus says that, the examples he uses are family members. Yeah. <laughs> that that sword will divide some people in your family. But the hope is that one day that sword will be received and unify you both together to, together again. It's possible. Well, okay, I'm going to do a lightning round on these last ones. I'm ready. When are you going to write a cookbook? Never. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, What was the inspiration in the design of the book cover? 
uh, Anthony Benedetto is just excellent. Um, he wanted to, he wanted to show that my life was like really kind of busy and all over the place at the top. But as it moves towards the word God, it gets pure, it gets golden because now God has made me right with himself. I like it. Um, what advice do you have for women who want to write and teach? Uh, as for teaching, um, read, read, read the Bible, love the Bible, be inquisitive about the Bible. Um, try to be okay with being taught before you teach, um, and be okay with teaching locally. I think some people, they want to teach on the platform before they teach in their churches, but our gifting is to equip the the body, you know, for the work of ministry. And so I would say that, write, Um, write if you can write. I I think we have enough people that actually can't write that are trying to write. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 That's what you feel good at doing. Cool. Great. Just write it down. Do what you got to do. Pray God to get it out there. If not podcast or something, that's no shade to you, but Hey, just, I did it. I was supposed to write a book and I chose podcasting. So I appreciate that. There's just a lot of bad books out in the world. <laughs> There's a lot. Yes. I, amen to that. Um, I, I, I do wonder, I would love a book on uh, the biblical concept of femininity. If you have time, cause Man. I like that part of it. Your story. I'm 50. I would love to write about that, but, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Hardest thing about being a mom and being in ministry time i feel like i don't have a lot of it to pray to meet with people to serve my husband my home um and so my schedule is always um me actually just trying to find what the heck balance actually means um but i think the other one is perspective i think sometimes i can feel as if i'm more fruitful pouring into other women than I am by pouring into my daughter. And I just know that's not the truth. And so I think that's a hard thing that I never considered that I would have to juggle is to see that like my ministry in the home is just as much, if not more impactful as my ministry in the church and abroad. Do you, when, I mean, you wrote about it, so I'm sure your daughter's going to know your story. Yeah. She doesn't, I mean, I mean, she's too young to even conceptualize right now, but. It, what's your plan on handling that in the future? Um, I think she's going to hear about it pretty early just because I plan on when she's five, starting to take her to events with me and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we'll converse about it. I think, I think it'll be healthy for her to know that her mother hasn't always been a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think she'll be able to relate to that. I think it'll make me personable and human um, even so that as she starts to identify and wrestle with her own struggles, she'll be able to know that like mommy does understand this like mommy ain't always been saved and so uh, and I'm a pretty honest person so I, I definitely tell, plan on telling her things in age appropriate ways yeah. well yeah. it's exciting thank yeah. you again for writing it for talking with us today and I will put links to all the places people can find you online awesome and we will be praying for you in this launch thank you alright thanks Jackie no problem okay there it is There are Jackie's thoughts about all the things related to same-sex attraction and interacting with our friends and family. And I, you know, it's hard for me. I am such a feeler that I never want to hurt anyone's feelings. And to hold the truth, 
I I look to Jackie and to others because, man, it, it is really hard for me. I would probably have advised people to go to the wedding. Like, it's better than hurting their friendship and your relationship and your family. You don't want to hurt that relationship. Uh, and then she comes and brings that truth that, okay, man, hadn't thought of it that way. So I don't know if she opened your eyes to some things or just reaffirmed what you were already feeling or... Maybe you are afraid to even communicate with anyone who has same-sex attraction. And I hope this opened your eyes to see them in the image of God. Whatever this conversation did for you, whichever way it pulled you, I hope it pulled you in line with what the Holy Spirit knows is truth and that you feel a peace, that God fills your soul with peace and that you can, in any interaction, any relationship, lean on Him for guidance because Like Jackie said, these relationships, these situations are all so uniquely different that there is not one formula. It is us relying in our relationship with God on his direction and what he has led us in that relationship to say and to do. It's hard. It's hard, y'all. It's not easy. But we have a good God and he is for everyone knowing him and being drawn close to him. So trust that he loves anyone in your life more than you possibly could. He loves your kids more than you possibly could. He loves your parents more than you possibly could. Whoever in your life is breaking your heart to see them walk in any any level of sin or darkness um, or confusion, just know that he loves them even more than you can ever imagine, that he is fighting for them behind the scenes, and that if you would surrender that person to him, and do what you can within your hoop, releasing the outcome to him, knowing that he does give us free will, but his desire and his longing is to reconcile all things to himself and to trust him in that process. And next week, I'm going to have singing duo Love and the Outcome on the show, and then Darina Williamson is going to be coming on talking about helping our kids build bridges and racial reconciliation, all good things. And again, here's another reminder, get your tickets for the live event. I don't want those sad, sad emails coming my way that you missed out. GodCenterMom.com forward slash live. All right. Adios. Have a great week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.